All right, well, good morning, Shore. Welcome. For those who are maybe new to the church, just want to welcome you. My name is James, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you are brand new, we actually have on our website a digital connect card. It says on the bottom, even if you're on your phone, connect. We'd love to hear from you, uh, be able to maybe meet up on Zoom or just hear your story. But thanks for tuning in. If you have your Bibles, we are in and we're continuing uh, Good Grace, which is our series in the book of 2 Corinthians. So go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Corinthians. I can't believe it. We're in chapter 10. So we're in chapter 10. Uh, you know, it's going to be great. So let me say a few things before we, we read, jump into our time together in God's Word. Uh, we have a very, very important announcement uh, at the end of our service today. And so uh, really, really important. Please don't, you know, check out maybe after the sermon or after communion. Just really uh, stay with us the whole service. If you have to leave, uh, please come back, watch the whole service. Very important announcement. Um, yeah, so today we jump into chapter 10, and really we are, we're kind of jumping right back into the, the real issues of this whole letter and the thing that Paul's been constantly addressing, and it's the issue of relational uh, wholeness. Um, he, he's been addressing so many accusations that have been hurled at him and his team for, for all kinds of things, and today, specifically, he's going to address a group of, of uh, those in the church in Corinth a group that, that were saying, you know what, Paul is not as good as all the other speakers who've come in and they've commended themselves and, and he's not like these other preachers. In fact, he kind of hides behind his letters. You know, Paul's all bold on paper, but when you're with him, he's just kind of like weak and stumbling guy. Uh, you know, we think he's rather fearful and, and uh, he's just all about himself. And, and again, compared to others, he's not that great. So here's the question, how... How, how does Paul go about this? How does he address these things? And, you know, for us, as we're looking into the mirror of God's word, how do we, in our soul and mind, respond well when we are being accused for not being genuine, when, when we're being misunderstood for not really having integrity? Like, you know, how do we deal with those within the church? I mean, this is who it's to that we are in relational conflict with, and there's so much gold in 2 Corinthians to address that. But let's read our passage. You'll kind of understand now exactly what I'm saying as we read it, and then we'll, we'll walk through it together. So here's the passage. So he's, Paul begins, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away, I beg of you, that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your, when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. You know, if, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. 
and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that we that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, we, we love seeing how your person was so expressed in the heart of Paul. You know, to the point where Paul would, would say, follow me as I follow Christ. And I just pray that as we, as we pause here now, and, and our hope is really to meet with Jesus. Like, we want to meet with the person. We want to enjoy and worship you. We want to be transformed by your word. We want you to speak. So I just ask now that you would speak. And I pray that as we look into a text that you would be so specific to us in our lives. That the Holy Spirit would just begin to apply these texts as we're hearing. And so, Lord, would you just remove distractions? Would you increase hearing? And would you, would you come and be present with me? And, and may, we, may we encounter God through his word, through the ordinary means of grace, like gathering online. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, so to guide our time, I want to highlight uh, how Paul went under the scrutiny uh, of, of is he really genuine, how he responds, and so here's, here's where we're going, three points. When being accused for not being genuine, what we'll see in our text is Paul does these three things. Number one, he remembers where the battle really is. He remembers where the battle really, really is. Number two, he reminds himself of the purpose of his authority rooted in identity. And number three, he refuses the comparison trap. He refuses to do the comparison thing. So that's where we're going. Let me look at the first one together. This will be the longest point, just to give you a heads up. Remember where the battle really is. Now, my question is, is how, you know, how did this rumor come to be? Like, how does verse 2, verse 2 says, you know, some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh, you know, that, you, you know, unspiritual ways. Or verse 10, it says, for his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. How does that kind of stuff get started? Well, was Paul actually shy or was he, was he withheld? And the answer is no. He says in verse 11, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. So what was it? Where did this come from? Well, the key, here's the key to understand how Paul could have been received this way is actually in the first phrase of our first verse. Look at verse 1. Paul says this, Paul, I, Paul, myself entreat you, and then what does he say? By the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Right there, he gives them the source of their experience of him. When, when he was present, he was like Jesus. He, he was carrying with him the love of Jesus, the presence, posture, and person of Christ he even quotes, I who am humble, that was Jesus, meekness and gentleness. 
even when you see Jesus in the scriptures using strong words, it, it came from peace and gentleness. And I, I, I just, you know, as we, before we get into the real kind of point, remember where the battle is, I just think, wow, pause there. And just for a moment, it's good for us to remember that when we think of becoming like Jesus, this is a snapshot of how we should be. This, this is how our Savior is both uh, for us and how he reveals himself to be. This is so important. I don't want to move past it. So Matthew 11 says this. This is Jesus, and he says, Come to me, all who are weary, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says in verse, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then listen how he describes himself. For I am, what does he say, gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Uh, Dane Ortland, a book I've recommended, have given to uh, our elders' wives as well. But commenting on this verse, gentle and lonely, he says this. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is. Tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we were asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle and lonely. If Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the About Me drop-down would read, gentle and lonely in heart. This is exactly how Paul describes how he speaks, how he comes to them, how his appeal is grounded in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So this week in your community group, and I encourage you, if you're not in one, join one. You're going to ask the question, when, when Jesus looks at you, What's the look on his face? What is the posture of his presence when you think about how does Jesus see me? And the second part of that question will be, should it not be what Jesus wants us to think of him? It, what's true of us in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what? I was driving here this morning, and whether it was my thoughts or, or the Lord's, I, um, I thought of the, the story of Mary and Martha, and oftentimes when you tell that story, you know, the emphasis is, hey, are you like a Mary who, who does the right thing and just sits with Jesus? And, or are you kind of like so busy and distracted? And then I thought, what was it about Jesus that, that you could just sit with and want to be and open with and hear? Like, the, he is so gentle and meek. He loves you. And so I just, you know, I felt like, I just think before we kind of drive into the text, why don't we just pray? I just think it would be really, really helpful, I believe, really healing for some of you uh, to actually right now just pause in the sermon and just, you know, if, if you can, just open your hands like this, a posture of receiving, and just pray, Jesus. You can repeat after me. Jesus, I believe when I come to you, you are meek and gentle. Thank you that you're always willing to love me. And thank you that you were willing to bear what I deserved on the cross. So, so with, with this as his, I'm going to respond to this rumor. We now arrive at our main point. So here's the main point. Remember where the battle is. Listen to how he says this. Draw your beautiful eyes with me to verse 3. For though... We walk in the body, the flesh. We are not waging war. 
Notice the language, waging war according to the flesh. The battle uh, isn't where it appears. One translation says, we are not waging war in an unspiritual way. And then he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So you can see that he's saying we don't wage war where it's obvious. We're not, we're not waging war according to the flesh. I don't think he's speaking into spiritual warfare per se, though that can apply. But rather, I think he's addressing this group of accusers, meaning he's like, I'm not playing on their field right now. I'm not, this is not where the battle is. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not going the low road of slander and accusation. I'm not hurling anything back at you. I'm not, we're not going to engage on their philosophical, rhetorical, am I better than this, you know, Greek uh, sophist who were, you know, really famous in the, in the ancient world. Noah, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going there. That's not where the battle is. Rather, the weapons are of the Spirit. That is so key. For Paul, it was, it was we come to you with God's perspective. We're, we're coming to you seeking how does Jesus view this. Not in the flesh. So let me say this for us. When you're, when you're being hit with something relationally, uh, you know, cues and the, genuine, the genuineness of, of your godliness or whatever is being approached. Um, again, especially with those in the church, that's the context. It's so easy for us to just shoot back, for us to respond on that post back. It's so easy to just stay on the ground that that person is accusing you on defensive and all these things rather than just stopping and going, Father, what weapons are you giving me to use? Where's the battle? And when we do that, there's a whole set of different weapons. We don't defend. We're not acquiring. We're not trying to fight for control. We're not, our identity is so deeply loved by the Father because the gospel's coming in at that point that you're going, I don't need to think of fame or growth or accolades or the best seat in the church or to compare my, no, 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 no. You have, you have a different weaponry. You're, you're, you have a different, that goes to the heart, that addresses where are the lies, and, and that sticks to, here's the key, that sticks to the gospel message, because it's about the gospel. I say this because this, if you remember back in chapter 6, now, if you were in the early church, a letter would have been written, I mean, read out loud entirely in front of you. I mean, that was just how the letters came. They were spoken out loud. They weren't broken up into different weeks. So if you moments ago would have heard Paul's language, you would, you would go back to what he just said in chapter 6 about the language of weapons in this letter. He says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the, here's the word, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So, so just, you know, I'm going to build up upon this, but the, the wielding of divine power that destroys strongholds begins there. So he goes on in verse 5, and he says, We destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Remember, we're talking about where the battle really is. So this is really, really powerful for us, especially if you're like, where is the battle in my life? Well, the most obvious thing that we cannot miss is that the battle is primarily in the mind. You know, you have language like arguments and, and thoughts and knowledge of God. And it's a battle, by the way, not just in the mind, but of 
within the mind to whom will I obey? It's a battle for worship. It's a battle for obedience. The battle of your life is a battle in your mind for whom will you obey? So both our flesh and and Satan and demons and the world's messaging and they're all waging an all-out war to do what? Captivate your mind. You guys got to be aware of it. Every scroll and every there's always, here's the worldview I want you to breathe in. Who will we obey? Who is this about? Who? All of it. It's interesting. The imagery, though, is of war. I think we just, we, we don't take this serious enough, meaning, like, I think it, it's just interesting that he goes, like, he has this imagery of seizing a city. When you're going to attack a city in the, in the ancient world, you go, what, first for the big strongholds? Then you storm the gates, you overcome the defenders, so all the arguments coming at you, and then you take captive your people, right? You, 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 you take captive the city inhabitants, and then too often we're being held captive. And I just, there, there's a time for us, like not just sure, I, maybe I just speak to all believers um, when I say this with a little bit of zeal, but Paul's vision for the church is one of advance, it's, it's not retreat, it's, it's advancing dominion of the kingdom of God, of the gospel of God. I love the picture here where it says to hold someone captive, uh, it means that they can't escape. So what do we do with thoughts and these arguments that are, that are lodged at both Paul, but in the knowledge of God, the gospel that Paul comes to preach, he says you hold them hostage. Have you thought of that? Like, have, how do you hold your thoughts hostage until Jesus tells us what it looks like to obey him in this thought? To represent him and the truths of the gospel. Let, let me just say, we don't just become Christians through the gospel, but we also grow into Christ-likeness more and more and more through uh, deeply understanding and practicing the implications of the gospel. It's, it's, let me say it this way, and I borrow this, but you can't afford to have a thought about you that Jesus doesn't have of you, like, or is true of you in the gospel. When you take a thought captive is, is you, you bring Jesus' presence and you bring all that Jesus has done, all that is true for you, all that heaven sees you to be, all that scripture tells you that you are in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that thought hold hostage until it's obedience to Jesus. The focus is there. You, um, you, you saw this even like in like the last two weeks with generosity. Remember in generosity in chapter 8, what does Paul do? He says it comes from the humility that flows from beholding what? The gospel. He's like, Jesus did this and so we're like this. So let me say, let me say a few things here. The goal isn't just, hey, have the right argument of attack, you know, uh, it's discerning where the battle is. And the tricky part is so often, like, and I'm, I'm not condemning any of us because I'm guilty of this, um, but so often in relational conflict and wholeness, and we, we, we start from, I think I'm right, and we start from a place of, it's a good heart, but we start battling on the wrong playing field. My encouragement is don't engage in arguments all the time, but ask, how does the Father see this is, is this opinion in line with the truths of the gospel? Is, is how, would, how would the love that flows from the gospel come into 
this. And then from that place, the power is released. And the arguments and the lofty opinions that are raised against the knowledge of God, they're actually broken down against and for obedience. You look at that in verse 6. It said it'll be on the screen again. And take every thought captive. What purpose? To obey Christ. One translation says, until you have obeyed completely, I will be ready to punish you every time you don't obey. So if there's not a life of submission and an abiding friendship where obedience, really doing the works with Jesus, really repenting of the sinful patterns or any rebellion towards the truth of Jesus, then Paul's like, we're ready to punish this. And that word just means to act justly. There's, there's a sweetness in obedience that I think so often we, uh, we miss. Obedience releases you further into the depths of God. I mean, it just, I don't know how to explain that, but other than as you're walking and obeying there's more. There's more of him. There, there's, there's more of Jesus, obedience to Jesus. I think, too, there is a place where when the, when, when the voice of the world and um, the necess... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We need apologetics. But I think oftentimes apologetics, it was playing on the same field where when that person experiences the weapon of patience, genuine love, and the Holy Spirit, and then the apologetic comes, it it just comes at the right time. So the key, when being accused of not being genuine and having all these other voices come at the knowledge of God and the truth of the gospel, the key is, is where is the battle? Second, he reminds himself, and you see this in verse 7 and 8, of the purpose of his authority. And he reminds himself in front of them, and I think it's just a unique way of teaching. But I get this in verse 7 and 8. So look at verse 7. He says, look at what is before your eyes. I actually love that phrase. He says, "Um, you're, you're, you're looking only what appears on the surface of things. The NASB says, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. Again, you're not seeing where the battle is. He says, if anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. There's there's some gold in this. So Paul says to them, the group who's claiming we are Christ's and is lobbying all these accusations just needs to remember that we have the same identity, belonging, salvation, and redemption, the same Father. So when you're mean-spirited towards me and feeling good about your position in Christ, you're doing it to someone who also belongs to Christ. He's like, just think about that. Right, parents, you know, it's like when your kids are fighting, they both belong to you. Let me ask you this, and this is only for those who made this apply, but Who are you throwing rocks at in the kingdom of God, in the church, that where that person belongs to Jesus? Like, that's Jesus' son. That's Jesus' daughter. And, you know, there's just something there. He says, but then he goes on in verse 8, 
For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave, the Lord gives it for building you up and not for destroying you. There it is. He's so focused on his purpose, the purpose of authority, the purpose of his identity, everything gets filtered through this focus. Everything, Everything flows out from this purpose. And what was the purpose? Well, Paul labored with Jesus for this church to build them up. It it wasn't about him. It was always about seeing the father's sons and daughters built up, liberated, uh, as we just sang about, more closer to Jesus, more godly, more bright. That was always his purpose. Now, Now, here's the thing. Paul has a spiritual authority as an apostle in the early church as it's being established that we don't have. That's true. There, there are some capital A apostles, but I think as we're looking into the mirror of God's word, we need to remember that we have with his spirit in us a, a spiritual authority that we carry as ambassadors for Jesus, as shown in the Great Commission, I have all authority, therefore go, I'm with you, uh, that, that this is our same purpose. That within the church, our purpose it, with, you know, to borrow an image of like a, his credit card, we, we use spiritual gifts, we use spiritual authority, we use the word of God to continue to do with Jesus what Jesus did. The model is how Jesus did discipleship. Oftentimes I think we, we tend to not think of spiritual authority as a reality of our ambassador and commission calling. And when we don't think we have authority, we don't even walk in any sense of uh, authority. But Jesus gave the keys to the church, to the gospel. We have the message. We have the power of God coming through us. Let me show us Jesus' model in Luke 9, chapter 1. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out. Notice, their authority is always linked to their commission. It's like when you're an ambassador, the authority begins when the airplane hits the ground and you're on the mission of the king, the mission of the country you represent, the kingdom of God. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And in verse 6 we read, And they departed and went through the village preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And so you've got to imagine, Jesus, fully God, comes to earth, fully man, with the authority of the Father, sent to destroy the works of the devil, to die for our sin, to forgive us, and to redeem us, and to take the wrath of God that we deserved. And he paid the penalty, and he rose again, victorious as the first fruit to bring us new life with God, and then he ascends into heaven, gives us this Holy Spirit within us. And this is the gospel. And by the way, if you... Maybe you've been watching for a while and you're not a believer. You don't have a relationship with God where you're forgiven, where you're accepted. I want to invite you right now to trust in Jesus. I want to invite you right now to ask him to come into your heart and to forgive you of your sin and to give you new life with him. If you don't know Jesus, come and invite him in. He forgives you. And he loves you. And when he rose, he said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. You're being sent. As I've been sent, so as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And, he, and then he comes to where does he live? If you're a follower of Jesus, point to where he lives. Point. Okay? Everyone, you, everyone's doing it. 
Yes, where does he live? He literally lives in you. In John 14, 12, we read, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, so the authority isn't in you, it's in Jesus within you in the name of the Father, I mean, in the name of Jesus, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's what I really want you to see. Like, you can read a passage like this and go, yeah, interesting, Paul's got authority. And, 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 um, and I, I don't think it's okay for us just to leave that there. Because what drove Paul, the purpose of his authority was always about building up. And then that language just is all throughout the New Testament of the authority we carry, both with Christ in us and the spiritual gifts we have. So look at, your, like, even the purpose of every spiritual gift. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what does it say? Let all things be done for building up. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. It's about building up the church. It's about seeing others thrive with Jesus. And later in our letter, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 19, he says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. I know you get it, but I want to give us more Bible. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, James 3 talks about how your words have authority and power to bless or curse. I think there's something here that Paul's alluding to as you, as you pull into the 2 Corinthians context here where, you know, he didn't take the low road with his accusers. With his authority, he didn't seek to destroy them, but to build them up. So let me point out something here. This, this can be life-changing if this, uh, if the Spirit just really grows this seed. When Paul looked at relational hardship, it went beyond just the issue or the offense. So, so for Paul, it was about building up. He didn't just see, okay, this person is aggravating or off base in the gospel truth, so all I need, all I need to do is just correct his theology and just get things reconciled, and then we're good. No, 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 no. He saw through it to wanting to see this person thrive with Jesus he, he kept his focus on why he was on planet Earth, to represent Jesus and build them up. That was his call, bring the gospel to the Gentiles and the authorities for building up. Often, I think some of us, we, 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 what's the word? we go too short. We stop too short. You know, we, we, we want to rebuild the relationship, uh, mainly because we don't like the conflict. And so the goal is just no conflict. And, and as long as I got my opinion out, I can rest. That's not enough. The, the, in the church, the goal is to see through it 
until you see the building up every time and the thriving of that son or daughter of God. That's what the community was built on. It wasn't about self-consumption, but it was about others' progress in Christ. Can you imagine going to that church? You know, I think we do. But, you know, going to the church where, like, every time there's something in the way, there's conflict, wherever the cause is, that we look at one another for this thriving in Jesus, for this, I want to build you up. I don't just want to get things good. I want to go after what God's going after in us. And I think this, honestly, was a secret to Paul's joy because he, he, was, he was just so focused on this purpose that he could see through personal hurt. Sometimes we can't see through personal hurt. We can't see beyond that to love. And somehow we focus on uh, how this person has made me feel more than on what is God showing me and how can I love this person beyond that hurt. Now, I'm not saying ignore the hurt, but I just think there was a, there was a, a secret to his tenacity with Christ. And what was the secret? He knew his purpose, and it was rooted in his identity. Third, and, and, and we'll have to pick this up more next week, but he refuses to compare himself to others. This is so powerful to say, especially as the group is going, you're not as good as all these other people who are commending themselves and saying that they're better than everyone. He just thinks that's not, that's so foolish. Listen to how he says this. He's like, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Who and how often are you in the comparison storm? So I'm, I'm just going to give you a teaser. Paul will explain in our passage next week how we can get free from the comparison trap. But for our last few minutes today, here's what I want to do. I just I want to highlight... Um, well, let me say this, as maybe prep for next Sunday to, to be, have a readiness, or you can just keep reading your Bible, um, but having a readiness, if I were to give you homework, if I could just, as a pastor, say, here's your homework, uh, I would have you make a list of who you compare yourself with and just simply bring that list to God in prayer and the Father's there. He's not accusing you for this list, right? You'll feel like, oh, you know, you'll come and be like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, why? Don't do that. Just, just come to him and go, what is going on? For some of you, it, it may be the Lord will show you that there's a spiritual warfare. There's some lies you're believing. There's some accusers telling you. Uh, so comparison. Others of you, it'll be you want stuff in this world more than you want God. And so you compare to who has better, and there's a love for the world. And he, he just wants to show you there's some idolatry that I need you to confess and actually renounce and repent of. But I think it's interesting when you, 
when you go, what do I compare? Financial? Do I compare looks? Do I compare spiritual growth? Like, what, what do you, some of you might compare spiritual growth. Whatever it is, I just think it's so important for you, number one, to be aware of it. Because Paul just says we're not going to do that. So there's something in this text that you got to go, what? How do you, you can do that. Where you just, you want that text to be true for you. And so the, the first thing is just bringing this to the Father, getting it out, admitting it that you're there, um, and that you're on a hamster wheel. More on that next week, but I hope, I hope as we close, and, and so Jill and uh, Natalie, you can come up and begin to close. I, I want to just... just how do I say this? Um, I, think, I think the focus that Jesus is inviting us to have is going to take work on your end, meaning you need to do the work of going, where do I battle in the flesh? Do I know and have almost like in the storehouses of my mind, the truths of the gospel, that they're ready to, to destroy arguments, to destroy the strongholds. Do I have not only the truths of the gospel, but the very person and presence of the love of the person of the gospel? That when the argument comes, I, I, I can say things the way Jesus did when he saw the true battle, okay, sell everything you have and go and follow Jesus. The issue for the, the rich young ruler wasn't the thing that Jesus addressed. And so there's an abiding life that I think Jesus is inviting us into as we look at Paul's interactions with this church where, where we're invited to go, where is the battle, Lord? Where is the battle? Um, what is the truth? What, what, what hostage thought do I do not hold long enough until it's obeying Jesus? Ask, where are you not obeying Jesus in your life? And then find out why. What thoughts are in that that are leading you to obey the world? You're not, you're not bringing those thoughts captive to the word of God, to the truth of God, to the presence of Jesus. And so where you're not obedient, there's usually a lie that you need to bring God's truth to. So you'd, you just got to do the hard work. So I could just end this sermon and we could all just close the Bible and not, no change happens. Or you can hear this sermon and go, I think Jesus is telling me to do some work. And what is the purpose of your authority? Building up every time, no matter what. Let me pray. So Jesus, thank you for your presence. Oh, Lord, your living and active word, your love for us. You love, you know, your vision of this, of, of Paul as a church that's thriving, that's actually taking down and besieging others and the gates of hell will not prevail because the kingdom of God is coming through the church in and on the North Shore. And, and Lord, we don't want to be those who are just uh, like, you know, in the sidelines. We want to be in the kingdom. So where there's disobedience, would you show us our thoughts? Would you show us what's going on? Where there's comparison, would we do the hard work of abiding with you? I break off any laziness in the name of Jesus to our spiritual growth and, and readiness in the gospel. And 
Father, ignite in us as a church a zeal for Christ. May the love of Christ control us, as Paul says, because we have concluded this, that one has died and he's died, so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ who has died and raised. So we just pray, God, that you would just actually in fullness just water every seed planted in Jesus' name. Amen.